0: According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger, tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next-level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining us today. I am so thrilled for the guest I have on today's episode, Ms. Jenna Kemp. Jenna and I have actually known each other since kindergarten and we attended the same elementary school. We're involved in Girl Scouts together, um, went to middle school together, high school, and then after graduation, um, we both went our different ways, but we recently have reconnected just about a year ago when she moved into one of
1: our Hope is Lives homes. So welcome, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? today i am doing better than i could have ever imagined um a year ago i was broken and today like i I'm blessed. Yeah. And every time (laughs) I see you, you've been
0: up and around, you know, the office area, like you always have a smile on your face and you just seem like you're doing just so well. And I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. So why don't you tell, I told a little bit to our listeners about, you know, we grew, you and I grew up together, same elementary. Um, But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Where, you know, how was your life growing up or your family or anything else you would like for us to know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So grew up in Derby, Kansas, Mm -hmm. um, grew up, I had a great childhood. I had an older brother, older sister, younger sister, and we were all really close. Um, I never wanted or needed anything. I never saw my parents fight. Um, it was a good life. Um, did not grow up around addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is kind of all new for our family that I am the black sheep. That's okay. Um, Went to Derby High School. I cheered for a little bit. Um, I was on DECA for four years or in DECA. Mm -hmm. um, But everything was good growing up. Okay, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I, I was just talking to you before we got on here. Yeah. I was like, I don't remember you cheering because I cheered, but then you're refreshing my memories because yeah. we were on different squads at yep. that time. And so um, good old Derby Panthers, yep. you know, um, hung out at Sonic probably. Oh, yes. You know, there's that cool side. And, yeah. you know, you, I still remember go, when we go back home, I'm like, okay, we're going to park on the cool kids. Side? Yep. Is this still the cool kids side? Is this where they hang out these days? I don't know if they hang out
1: at Sonic anymore.
0: I know. I know. <laughs> um, th- that just it's us, but it's okay. It is <laughs> right. um,
1: and you have your own kids now too. I do. Um, I have three kids. My oldest is 19. Okay. Uh, his name's Luke.
0: Great name. Luke? Great yep. name.
1: Um, my 17 year old is Madison. Um, and then I have a five, almost six year old Peyton. Oh, and you're, she's so precious. You were showing me some videos of her yesterday. She is a ham. She's got <laughs> quite the little personality on her. I love it. So, well, it sounds like you had a good life growing up, you know,
0: family that loved you, supporting you, um, involved in school activities and all of that. So we tell our listeners when you, when you remember starting to turn and try substances for the first time.
1: Well, my senior year, my parents got divorced and it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and my whole life was changed, turned upside down, um, Mm -hmm. I went from having this perfect little family from the outside to, um, and very strict parents. Um, I didn't have curfew. I had to come home after games or come Mm -hmm. home when the movie's over, um, to no rules. Mm -hmm. Um, so when my parents got divorced my senior year, I feel like I, um, definitely made a left-hand turn instead of a right in life and, Mm um, Things kind of just started spiraling for a little while. Um, that's also the, about the time I tried my drug of choice for the first time. Okay. Um, through high school, I never really drank or smoked or anything like that, uh, minus the occasional trying it out at a party. Or, mm-hmm. um, But I always had to come home, so I couldn't go out and dr- drink with my friends, and I was usually the DD. Um, but during finals of my senior year is when I tried my drug of choice for the first time, Somebody at school came up to me and was like, "Hey, do you want to try some speed? Mm. Help you study?" Like, sure, (laughs) that sounds like a great idea. And um, before the end of the night was over, I had tried coke and meth both for the first time. Um, So you tried all of that all in one day, all in one night. And
0: what happened after you tried that?
1: Um, really, um, I just kept going. Um, it started that day, turned into the next day, turned into the next day. Turned into trying ecstasy and doing an ecstasy almost every single weekend. Um, at that point, I still wasn't much of a drinker. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't really smoke weed until a little bit later. Um, but once I, I mean, I remember even like my graduation, mm-hmm. I remember I was high. Really? Um, and I met my, I met my ex-husband at the same time. Um mm-hmm but kind of after my graduation throughout the summer, he's like, like he had a big boy job. And, mm-hmm. um, so we kind of cooled it off and that's when the smoking weed and more drinking kind of took over. But, um, senior final finals of my senior year.
0: Okay. And then it, you, so you started doing it every day and then it may have got, you know, calmed down a little bit yeah. like that summer. Or so, yeah. and then, um, When did you discover that maybe you were actually more dependent on it? It wasn't more, it wasn't so much recreational or just for Mm. fun or this is what high school, you know, teenagers do.
1: Mm. When did you realize, or did it take a while for you to realize you're dependent on it? It took a while. Um, I actually, I got pregnant. I was, right before I turned 20, I had Luke. Um, So there wasn't much time from high school until being pregnant. Um, And then I had... Madison right after that so I had two kids by the time I was 22 um but I smoked weed I always smoked weed um minus the pregnancies Mm -hmm. um and that was something that I never thought I would give up the day I told my mom that I was probably never gonna smoke weed again like I think she was dancing Um, (laughs) because I've even told her I'm like mom I'm never why don't you smoke some weed mom like yeah no but um, after I got divorced in 2018, I started working in a bar, which led to doing cocaine, which now ice was around instead of just meth. Um, and that is when things really started to spiral. So between uh, 2009 um, and 2014, it was constant use. It was drinking, smoking, weed, meth, all of the things. Um, and it wasn't until probably about 2013 that I realized I probably had a problem. Um, I had lost everything multiple times, started over multiple times, and um, that last time, it's like, you know, maybe I need some help. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when
0: you realized, okay, maybe I do have a problem I need some help. Did you seek out the help or did you wait longer? What did that process look like?
1: Well, I had started calling around in the Wichita area, mm-hmm. um, and there's not really a lot of resources in Wichita, or at least there wasn't at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was told that I couldn't find a place because I wasn't pregnant, I wasn't homeless, I wasn't an IV user, I wasn't a heroin user. Mm. Like all of these no's. And so when you're ready to get help, um, I've heard it a lot Um, since being an HIA, you have a very short time period that somebody's Mm going to accept that help. Well, after no, after no, after no, I just needed outpatient treatment. I think that's the one that really got me. I'm like, no, you don't know me. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely need something more than just outpatient. Um, so I ended up, um, that was like 2013. And then my stepsister Lacey died Mm -hmm. of a drug overdose, um, And shortly after that is when I went to Louisiana to try to get some help. So you were ready for help, but you
0: kept saying, no, no, no. You know, you know, how frustrating and hope, you know, hopeless. You probably were feeling in those moments and like, no, you guys don't understand. Like, I need help. I want help. Yeah. But every
1: door seemed to be closing. Yeah. I had a job, but I had no insurance. I wasn't Mm. homeless. Like, just all of these no's. Um, and it was rough. Like, I I almost felt like I wasn't a good enough drug addict. <laughs> like, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's like, what do I need to do? And one of the people, they're like, well, do you use heroin? I'm like, no. They're like, well, if you did. I'm like, So you're what? telling me I need to go <laughs> use some heroin in order to get into inpatient treatment. It just blew my mind. Um, the place I went into Louisiana, though, um, because obviously I can't afford $30,000 a month. I can't afford out of pocket. Um, so we found a place that the best way I can describe it is a work release. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was for people court ordered to be there. Like there was only, I think eight people out of 180 something that went there willingly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and it wasn't catered to us. Not that any treatments like really catered, but, um, They weren't able to meet you where you were. No, not at all. Like Mm -hmm. there was no group therapies. There was no counseling. There was no AA and church was a privilege. Mm. Um, I lasted three months. I was pretty proud of myself. That's pretty good. Of a two-year program. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, I ended up leaving just because I knew I wasn't going to get anything I needed there. I was away from my kids for the first time. Mm. Um, So I made my way back um, right to where I left off in Wichita. So after you left, you came back. Did you relapse pretty quickly after The that? next day. The next day. Seriously, the next day. Um, and from that point... I, I'm going to stop you right yeah. there because I hear that sometimes.
0: Like, you know, I talk to a lot of loved ones. Like, they're at treatment for six months and then they relapse the next day. Will you explain to our listeners, like, you know, my brain's not set up the same. Like, we yeah. just, you know, your brain is different. And
1: so... What were you thinking in those moments? Or I went, you have to get away from your people, places, and things. Okay. You will hear it over and over again. You cannot go back to your old stomping grounds. Mm -hmm. You cannot go back to your old friends. Um, I am one of those people that if it's in front of me, I'm going to do it. Okay. Um, And so I went to the boyfriend's house that I was with before I left. Mm -hmm. And of course, he was still using. Um, and that was one of my biggest mistakes. Had I stayed gone out of the state, I feel like I would have had a lot better chance. Okay. Um, and that's why when I came to Hope is Alive, the decisions I made really revolved around that. Yeah. So you were there for
0: three months, came back, immediately started using again, and then tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Well, over the next nine years or so, I mean, I always had a job. I Mm -hmm. worked, um, But when I left, I had a car, I had a house, I had a job. I had all of these things. And when I came back, I had none of those things. Mm. So that was really hard for me. Um, I wasn't able to see my kids. Um, They hadn't been taken away from the court, but their dad has known me since I was 17. Mm. So he can look at me and know that (laughs) I'm under the influence of something. And so he put a stop to it. um, And I just, I was kind of even more broken coming back. Um, But I ended up, I mean, I... I still worked. I still did what I needed to do. I ended up getting a car again, um, but I was always using, maybe Mm -hmm. not as heavily during certain periods. Um, Like I know for a fact there's about three years that I didn't use my drug of choice, but I was drinking every day. Mm. Or I was smoking. um, So you're using some sort of substance. Some sort of substance. Um, And... um, then started going back around that same group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even if I got away for a while and started to get my life under control, it's like I couldn't get away from that group of people. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I went back around that group of people, I started using again. Yeah. So you went, you were constantly using. Well, and today you're
0: clean and sober. So how did you get from that relapse, continuing that cycle
1: over and over again to where you are today? Um. It was not easy. Um, my mom always knows when something's going on because I quit calling. Mm. Um, and I had told my mom a few times, like I'm not okay. She's mm-hmm. like, I, I just need you to, I just need you to suck it up and be a big girl. Like everything's gonna work out. And finally, um, it was May of last year. Um, I called my mom. I said, Mom, I'm really not okay. I mm-hmm. need you to come get Peyton. And I think and she, who's Peyton? Peyton's my five year old. Okay, yeah. Um, and she is awesome, and this day, like, will always be engraved in my head, but I was at a park. Um, I was living with my best friend at the time because me and the boyfriend had broken up. He had kicked me out and um, was living with my best friend and her kids and six dogs, and mm. there's just a lot wow. going on in that house. Yeah. Um, and so me and Peyton would escape on my bike, and I was at the park with her, and um, I just broke down, and I'm like, I can't do this. I, I don't want to be here. Um, I just didn't want to live anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have your five-year-old with you at that point, um, and she remembers it Mm -hmm. and that's hard. Um, but I called my mom and I said, Hey mom, I really, really need you to come get Peyton. Um, and so she started making plans from Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, my grandma up in Topeka, we all collaborated and, or they did, I didn't, um, and came and got Peyton and Monday my mom came and picked me up, um. she asked me to talk to her friend Christy Martin (laughs) I love Christy (laughs) I do too but come to find out my mom lied to me they're not friends. (laughs) well Christy's (laughs) friends with everybody so they probably are now (laughs) um and Christy Martin I got her on the phone or she got me on the phone um and let me back up a little bit Mm How we even figured out about Hope is Alive is through my stepmom, Rhonda. Mm-hmm. She is a big part of finding hope and hope after loss. Mm-hmm. And so she and knew- that's Lacey's mom. And that's Lacey's mom, yes. Okay. Um, so we haven't had a relationship since 2014. Wow. Um, have not spoken one word to her, one word to my dad um, since 2014. And I didn't find out it was her until I had been here for a couple weeks. Um, mm-hmm. But they all spoke, and I got Christy Martin on the phone, and she talked to me without judgment. Wow. And that was fine. That was good to hear after so long of not being able to hear it. Um, when she got on the phone with me, she just started asking me, and she's like, why do you want this? Like, what are you willing to do? And that was the first time I think I realized I surrendered. I said, I will do what." it takes I don't care what you guys ask me to do I will do it Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when we talked about going to Tulsa and getting out of Wichita Mm -hmm. so um, May 26th I went to Tulsa Oklahoma into one of the Tulsa houses and started my recovery journey
0: yeah and so, how has that been? Over, I mean, it's almost been a year. Yeah, it
1: will be a year um, in nine days. <laughs> okay, one day at a time. But yep. yeah, <laughs> one day at a time. But I am counting down that nine days. Yes. Um, I have never since, forever. Oh no, I take that back. I was able to quit during each of my pregnancies. Okay. Um So during my pregnancies, I did not use. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than being pregnant, I have not been sober, and so. And technically I was only pregnant for nine months and yeah, I'm coming up on a year, or so that's awesome. <laughs> um it has been awesome. Um I have met so many amazing people here. Um I never grew up going to church and having that introduced to me, um, through Hope is Alive has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um I joke around with a lot of my roommates. I like to church hop. so um I'll go to different churches but I'll also double dip and I'll go to two different services in one day um and that's been the best part of my life I feel like is getting to know Jesus and Mm -hmm. to know that I am never alone to know that I can always pray and ask him and talk to him and even if I'm angry at him I can oh yeah and he already knows you're angry that's like my pastor (laughs) he was preaching about something this week and he already knows like yeah he does yeah um and he doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. he will still love me. Um. Today, I. I look forward to every day. Mm-hmm. Um. I will take a bad day today, over my best day as before. Wow. Um. Because they were rough. I was broken. I. By the time I came in here, and I know I've shared some pictures with mm-hmm. you, like I was broken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. And it was sad. And now, um. Happy and. I feel loved, and I can love my kids. And yeah,
0: so not only did you move into our homes, you've been working. The, I remember, and you got baptized. Yep, I did. remember seeing that in Tulsa. Um,
1: but now you are on staff. I am. So, what are you doing with us? So I now get to help bring hope to people that are reaching out for recovery. Um, we call it our Rock Team, mm-hmm. which is our recruiting and outreach, and. So what Christy Martin did to me. Yeah, I, <laughs> a, I was just thinking know, as you were talking through this. I get to now do that for other people. Um, and one thing that I love about Hope is Alive is even if we're not a good fit for somebody, we will help them find somebody yeah. that is. Um, if they're not ready to come into Hope is Alive quite yet, they need to either go to detox or treatment, we will help them get into those doors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I we talk about our whys a lot. Mm-hmm. And my why is so that when somebody is ready, they don't get that no after no after no. Mm, um, like you were getting. Yeah, because you do. You have a very short period. And I kept getting those no's and I stayed in addiction for another nine years. Wow. Um, and that's a miserable feeling. And it's a miserable feeling that you don't deserve more than what you have at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, because now I know that I deserve better. I know that I deserve to be loved. I know that my parents love me. I know that my kids love me. And I can give that love back. Mm-hmm and be present in their lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so excited that you're on staff with us yes. and it's like all the way from Derby, Kansas yep. down here to Oklahoma now. We're both yep. Okies, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been here for a long time, <laughs> but um, Derby will always be home. Right. So, But so for our listeners out there, what advice or tips would you give families
1: who have someone still in active addiction? First of all, no matter what, know that they're still loved. Um, I know as far as I, what I did in my addiction is I tried to pull away from my family. Mm-hmm. And my mom never let me. She still made sure to call me. And if I didn't answer, call me again and check on me. Um, because we isolate ourselves enough mm-hmm. that we we need to know that people are still out there and that people still love us. Um, also, maybe... Um, have some resources in the back of your head so whenever they do say that they're ready you're like okay here let's go um I I know a great place for you um I know the right person for you to talk to and just like you're saying our rock team has that yeah right
0: let and I that's what I do I give that number and um we'll get the number out there we'll put it in the comments or the show notes because that's what Your team does here. Like, they know the best treatment. They know places that take
1: insurance, doesn't take insurance. So, yeah, I love that, too. Absolutely. And also, find yourself a Finding Hope support group because um, I think that's important, too. Like, we learn in the program how we set boundaries with other people. Mm -hmm. But for our family and our loved ones, they need to set boundaries with us. Mm They need to know that it is not acceptable that we come around if we're drinking or if we're high or if we're under the influence. But that doesn't mean that you guys don't love us. Yeah. We just, they can't tolerate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes once we realize that we don't have, like, that we can't go to our family functions, maybe a little bit faster we'll be, be ready to seek help. And, and also don't be... Don't be quiet about what you're th- thinking and feeling. Um, be honest with us. I think a lot of people walk on eggshells mm-hmm. around us. Yeah. Um, I know I did with my husband. Mm-hmm. But we're big kids. Like We are grown adults, and we have put ourselves into that situation, and I think we're all pretty aware of that. Um, we can, We don't like it, but we can handle the truth. And
0: so I'm going to put you on the spot. Great. So some, <laughs> so a lot of times, if I'm, you, yeah. I could be wrong, just correct me if you're I am. Not. Like when we might confront you or tell the truth, it's when you're in your active addiction, you don't always like to hear it. Mm-hmm. And so you might say some words that might be hurtful or not nice so like how would a loved one respond to that or what would you tell a loved one if their you know person that they love responds
1: in a you know ugly way um honestly I'd probably say like I'm sorry that you feel that way Mm -hmm. however (laughs) here is the truth and when you're ready to admit it come talk to me
0: Mm um I love you I'm here for you I'll support you
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've been hateful to my mom and man like she don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh, she she might have been in a different state but she tried her very best from afar to be there for me and I I did not treat her like I should have. Yeah. But. I always knew that she loved me and that she would always be there for me. She did make sure. No matter what you said. Yeah. I want
0: my listeners to hear that again. You
1: always knew that she what? That she loved me no matter what I said to her. Okay. And that she was supportive mm-hmm. and when I was ready to be nice, she would still be there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now let's switch it. Now that yep. you're in recovery, mm-hmm. what would you tell, so some of our loved ones are in recovery. Yeah. What, you know, what advice or tips would
1: you give those? One of the biggest, well, okay. For me being in recovery Mm -hmm. and having a family of quote unquote normies, (laughs) um, just be aware that when we are around and we're still early in recovery, that we're still early in recovery. So, um, like I going out to dinner with a bunch of people don't, don't have the whole table drinking. Mm -hmm. Like I just feel respectful. Yeah. Be respectful. Um, because that's hard. I mean, alcohol wasn't my drug of choice, but mm-hmm. I can only imagine, had it been, how hard it would be when everybody at the table is drinking and you're sitting here with a water or a Coke. Um, but as far as everybody else, just continue to be supportive. Um, go to meetings with people. Um, yeah, there's open AA meetings. Yeah, so you know what we're going through, that what we are working at every single day. Um, because this isn't something that you just recover from. And boom, you're fixed. Mm -hmm. I wish it was (laughs) because I probably would have taken that road a long time ago. But it's something that we're going to have to work at every single day for the rest of our lives. Um, But also if you see us having not just a down day because everybody has down days. Mm -hmm. But if you notice our weeks or like we're getting in a slump, try to get us out of it. Just let us know that you're still there and ask us to go to a meeting. Say, hey, you want to go to a meeting? I'll go with you. Um, just continue to be supportive and love, I mean, loving us, and yeah, I like that. Um,
0: you know, I remember after Shane, you know, was very early in his sobriety, we went back to marriage counseling, and we kind of talked about that mm-hmm. and about the going out and you know, people would ask me like can can we have a drink around him or do this? I'm like, my counselor, our counselor was like, go directly to him.' Yeah. And so I would refer people, feel free to ask Shane yeah. that question. And, um, you know, because he felt like even sometimes that shame, that shame yeah. w- still like with that, like, Oh, people can't do this or can't do that. But, yeah. you know, maybe early on not, but later on, maybe he felt more comfortable. It just depends. Yeah, so, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think the longer you're in recovery, the less you think about using, mm-hmm. um, I don't ever want to go back to my drug addiction. I don't. Mm-hmm. But it's taken me a long time to realize that I'm also an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, wow. So that takes, that one's been a little bit harder to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. And so when everyone's drinking at lunch at my favorite Mexican place, <laughs> having my favorite drink, um, yeah. I mean, it it's hard. Um, yeah. But I also have to be able to speak up about it. Yeah. And yeah. not something something I'm still learning how to do yeah yeah mm-hmm. you'll set your own boundaries to set my Yay. own boundaries and
0: um there's certain and for us loved ones to be respectful to those boundaries yeah. I think is huge too yeah. is like I set boundaries you learn to set boundaries and we need to be respectful
1: to each other because yeah. it's
0: for my protection yeah. from you know for my own protection and it's for your
1: own protection yeah right? my boundaries are for me mm-hmm. my boundaries aren't for you mm-hmm. I mean I hope that you don't cross them, but they're not to make you feel better. They're to make me feel better and me feel safer. And um, luckily with Hope is Alive, we get to learn about that. Um, And it's not easy, but... And it's sometimes hard. Like like my mom being a normie, it's okay for her to have a drink. But it's not okay for me to have a drink, and I have to somehow... Speak up and tell my mom, "Hey, yeah. can you maybe not drink when yeah and when you I'm know, around?" Well, maybe
0: she's listening right now,
1: but <laughs> probably because I told her I was doing ah, this. So good, love you, mom. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So what you're saying is like, let's be, you know, as a loved one, your recovery is going to be for life. Yeah, you're going to fight this every single day. And sometimes we, for us normies, as you're calling us, mm-hmm. forget that, that mm-hmm. it's an everyday battle. Like, even I mean you have to wake up every day. Maybe sometimes you have to go minute by minute, hour by hour. And so we need to be respectful of that. Anything else before we wrap this up that
1: you want to share with, um, the listeners today? Um, no, just, I don't think so. Um, find yourself finding hope meeting. (laughs) If you have somebody in addiction, um, help them find a meeting nearby. Um, And not all meetings are created equal. So if there's a meeting that you go to that just isn't hitting home, find another meeting. There's hundreds of them out there. Um, But make sure that you guys are each taking care of yourselves and um, doing self-care, as we like to call it, which is our meetings and our time with God and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Just don't forget to take care of yourself, and you can't put all your time and energy into your loved one with a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction. Well,
0: that's perfectly said. And I like to end each podcast with a challenge. So let's start with that, that our challenge for you guys, the first challenge I want to leave you with is share yourself love, right? Take care of yourself, find some self care. And you know, I always say five minutes a day, let's start with that five minutes, move on. What are you going to do today for you? When you feel like you need to go rescue your loved one, rescue yourself instead The other one, as we were talking, I wrote down the other challenge I want to give our listeners today is we can show your loved one love. Don't ever stop loving them. And sometimes that love is by setting some firm boundaries. So maybe today you need to set that firm boundary. It doesn't mean you stop loving them. You continue to love them through it all. So thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you, Jenna, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And you can learn more about finding hope at findinghope.today and hope is alive at hopeisalive.net. We'd love for you to give us a five-star review, share this on social media, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next hope-filled episode. Thanks again for joining me, Amy LaRue, and our, my special guest, Jenna Kemp, in this episode of Finding Hope. And remember, you are not alone. It's not your fault, there is.